Okay, Vitaly put on his doctor or from her bed. And, um, in all the, you know, while you've been speaking, while you've been talking, you, you've talked about the land as commodity, as something that's to be bargained, traded, and uh, used as bargaining too. Not once have I heard the, uh, the essence of, of, of Native people and their relationship to the land. As Native people, we don't own the land. We, as a matter of fact, we don't have any right to claim it as, as property. We, we, have, we have a direct connection with the earth and the significance of uh, place with us is very, very sacred. I have not heard that part. You have talked on a very commodity level. You have not given the uh, uh, Mother Earth, you have not given it its proper respect and its proper perspective. And that's the difference between the Western world and our First Nations way of thinking, is that we do not have the land, it is not ours and it is not for sale. It is ours to use, but it, it does not mean that we can sell it for the almighty dollar. However, coming from your Western's perspective, you have taken the earth and you have put a dollar sign on it. And you have taken it and said, well, okay, these First Nations people are going to eventually, they're going to own the land and they can do with it as they please. No, they're not. They're going to sell it to the first uh, farmer with a million dollars or even five bucks who can, who can give it to them. And, it, and in all instances, because our economy is so is such a uh, disadvantage, yeah, uh, maybe a thousand, ten thousand dollars is going to sound like a lot of money, but it's going to be gone like the next day. So there is no bargaining tool there. The land is sacred. The land is not for sale. And uh, how dare the Western world, Western concepts, be imposed upon us as First Nations people? Okay, for leaving the sale part of the side in a second. I mean, there is no legislation at the moment permitting sale. I don't know if the legislation will ever be introduced. So to put that aside for one section. And just think about the situation now First Nations with their land base and reserves and other lands that they may uh, add to that through specific claims and so forth. So uh, you may have very eloquently expounded your of the land, and I, you know, I respect that. It's not my own view. I'm, I guess I'm a commodity kind of guy, yeah. but I, I respect that. I'm a capitalist, sure. Uh, and I respect what you're saying. But there, there is another dimension to that: is that you've got uh, land set aside for you, uh, potentially a valuable asset that can yield revenue, which is badly needed for higher support of people in need, for improvement of education on the reserve, for better roads, the water treatment, there's all kinds of things that more money could be used for. And so First Nations all across Canada are entering into agreements with their neighboring capitalist uh, friends or whatever they may be for use of the land to produce revenue which can go back to the native people. It can be drilling for oil and gas, it can be a casino, it can be a uh, shopping but that's center. exploitation of the land for, per for the purpose of commodity and for the purpose of capitalism. Well, and, it does, and, it, and, and when you talk about that, you're talking that 
that this commodity is going to benefit everybody. It doesn't. It doesn't benefit everybody. And you do not know what's happening underneath when they are drilling for and using all kinds of uh, chemicals where they don't have to abide by the regulated uh, environmental regulations. They don't abide by that when they dig on First Nations reserves. They go in there and they will dig regardless of what. And I know this firsthand because I've had a daughter who now has, uh, has had to fight in court to save her own name because she was opposed to that. And when you think about that, there's still only a handful of who are going to benefit from that. Okay, that, that, that is your view, and maybe it's supported by a big majority in this room, but don't tell me that that is the view of all First Nations across the country because they are entering into these agreements by the hundreds and the thousands. And so you may have your view, but there are others, and uh, you know, I could go on all night listing the various agreements that First Nations are making in order to use their land for revenue which they would like to have. So there's a diversity of The money's going to corporations and not pagans, white lawyers, bankruptcy court proceedings. It is not going to our needs. Well, go tell them I'm proposing that Bill C-27, connecting to corporations, consolidated audited financial statements, the most ridiculous thing you can Okay, take your complaint to the casino. They're the ones that wanted a casino on their land, the Green Eagle Casino. They're the ones that built the golf course. Nobody made them do it. They wanted to do it, and they're getting revenue from it, and I guess they, they have a big economic development plan to do more of that. Many grassroots Indians don't want that kind of development. No. Well, it's really their issue, isn't it? It's, it's their nation, and they'll have their own internal decision-making. Stated that you don't know, you don't know what's going on in legislation. You don't have any connection to the conservative government. That the Indian Act was designed as a temporary piece of legislation, and it was about seeing us as um, our lands becoming fee simple lands, and that we would blend in with everybody else. Well, I'm sure I find it. I would find it amazing if you didn't know about all this legislation. Bill C-27, First Nations Financial Transparency Act. Bill S-6, First Nations Election Act. Bill S-8, Safe Drinking Water for First Nations Act. Bill S-2, Family Homes on Reserves and Matrimonial Interest or Rights Act. Bill C-428, Indian Act Amendment and Replacement Act. Bill S. 207, an act to amend the Interpretation Act. Bill S2, First Nation Self-Government Recognition Act, which is the one that you're about self, self-government, but really what it is, it's, it's just going to do what the Indian Act was always supposed to do, but didn't do, which is make us municipalities under the province. Section 47.1 talks about any act that refers to Indians or lands reserved for Indians will no longer apply to a self-governing, self-governing First Nation under this Act. So that means that Section 9124 of the DNA Act, Indians and Lands Reserved for Indians, will a, self, a First Nation who goes under this Act will no longer be under that Act, nor will it be under Section 35, 1 or 2 of the Constitution Act. So even though you said, you know, 
this, this type of legislation, it would have to have large, widespread support in order to do it. The government wouldn't be able to do it. That's exactly what they're doing. There's also the First Nations Private Ownership Act, which I haven't seen yet, but I understand that it's in the works, as you said. And the First Nations um, Education Act, which is a discussion guide, but it only talks about education from K-4 to grade 12, basically making it under the Provincial Act with some funding if we create these enormous boards. But if we have small, um, small schools like we have in Bikani, that they'll get less funding, so that means that they're really they're really being handcuffed, and they're not going to be able to do what they should do, which really defeats the purpose. Like you were saying, that we want to have more graduates. If there's no money for post-secondary education, well then, you know, or if, we're, if what I think is going to happen is that they're going to say, well, you you can go through the mainstream like everybody else because now you're Canadian. You're not Nisitapi, you're not Bigani, you're not Ghana. You're just like everybody else, but we'll be worse off because we won't have anything. The treaties were signed for a reason. Our ancestors signed it with us in mind, with our future in mind. Not because talk about our reserves. Oh, you guys are so pitiful. Look at what you do to one another. You're so poor. Well, who made us that way? It's the funding structure, and you know it. This is about getting the federal government getting out of the Indian business. They don't want to be responsible. They don't want to fork any money over. They want to pass it off to the province. And if people think that these are such a good bunch of legislation, who do you think is going to pay for that? When all of us don't have land and we move into the cities, nobody wants us living beside them. You can't find a place to rent in Lethbridge. They go around talking about our property taxes, our, our property is going down. We're not going to get much money for it. All you Indians are here. How many Indians worked in Lethbridge? How many? Not a whole heck of a lot, I can tell you. And I've, I know because I've worked in Lethbridge and people have said, well, if I hire an Indian, what are they going to do? Whatever would I do with them? This is the reality. It is the provincial government that's going to have to pay. It's the taxpayers. They complain about paying all this money right now. Well, they're going to be paying hand over foot later because it's our money that's in our trust that's being used for us to operate. We have our own answers. Nobody asks us. This is a paternalistic view in 2013 that existed in 1867. Nothing's changed. Except we got educated. <laughs> My daughter would like to ask a question. And sure. I'll support her. My name is Imagine Cardinal on First Nation and I have a question. So, do you have grandchildren? Yes. Um, what do you think is going to happen when there's no clean water from, develop from oil development in fact? Yes, I care about my grandchildren's future, and and I don't think that oil development is going to uh, uh, is going done? to poison all the water. We've had large-scale development in Alberta for decades, over 100 years, and 
we're all still drinking the water? Yeah, but we no. no. Well, you're drinking Fork something. Fork Chip is not drinking their water. Fork Chip is not either sort of pig. A lot of First Nations, there's over 120 First Nations communities in Canada that cannot drink their water, so don't say that we're still drinking our water. You are, but the communities up north are not. Not, well, look, there's several different things here, if I may say so. There are problems of, of clean water, Many communities that need to be addressed that have nothing to do with the oil industry. Fort Chip does. There are many different native communities. Uh, one in particular has been making claims about uh, health conditions, which have not been worn out by the independent inquiries. What about the people with cancer? Well, look, I'm a, I said I'm, I'm a commodity guy, I'm a capitalist guy, I'm part of that society. Oh. I also believe in, in scientific research. They've sent scientists up there to do independent surveys of the incidence of various kinds of cancer. They haven't found anything that is particularly out of the ordinary. The fact that somebody says, the fact that the somebody fact says. That people are dying of cancer. Well, I would like to see the statistical evidence for that claim. Water, what would you do? Would you if I thought that bad water was causing the cancer, I would be taking uh, taking action against it. Yeah. They have. That's what we Well, I don't think okay, we've got a difference in perception of fact here. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't see the facts the same way that, that you seem to. I think well, we should I hope we can agree together. that we all love our grandchildren. Pardon me? We should go up to Fort Chip together and you can have a glass of water out of one of their taps and then you tell me. Yeah. Send me the water, I'll bring it. I'll bring you some water. Can I do that? Yeah, bring me the water. I got a jug of water. I will bring it to you. Can okay. I, can I meet you yeah. in Calgary? And you drink out of it. Okay. Because Paul Canada said that it cannot yeah. be drunk. Because of fracking and oil development in Canada. I'll so bring. I will bring. We'll do that. Let's have a lunch date. Okay. Okay. Right on. <laughs> One more question, ladies. I wanted to, um, I'm from the Gunny Nation. I'm Sheila Jackson. When you made a vocal, the vocal problem came out of your third sentence. When you said that it's not practical for the government to deal with 600 plus First Nations individually. That's the problem. You have to, it, you, the government needs to recognize us as individual nations with individual laws, with individual values, with individual interests to our own, to our own, what makes us Nitsitipi. In our language in Blackfoot, we call ourselves Nitsitipi, the real people. That's the problem. We can talk about all these other things until the government recognizes it, recognizes us individually and begins to deal with us nation to nation. You will see that change. So, and you said it's not practical for the government? Well, it wasn't practical for our people to be put on little reserves like cattle and keep us there when we had all this land before you, before Europeans came to our home. That's the problem. 
a candidate deals nation to nation with the United States or France or, or Guatemala. Uh, Do you think that we didn't have resources? We have resources. We have water on our reserves. We have oil on our reserves. We have people on our reserves that can contribute, mm -hmm. that do contribute. Yeah. And if you're going to have oil, you've got to have a legal framework to pump it out and sell it. But that's for your government standards. What are you going to do with the oil if you don't pump it out and sell it? This is, is that all coming from a European perspective. Why you're not understanding us. Well, I guess I don't understand what you're going to do with oil and 10,000 people over surface unless you use non-technical means to pump it out
If an oil company comes close to my house, I'm going to fight for not having that water destroyed. I can drink my, my uh, well, well water. I live by the river. So there's many good things about living out there. Maybe we don't have big homes up here, but it's adequate. Many of us are happy living on the reserve, where it's not a ghetto for everybody. All white people seem to think it's a ghetto. It isn't. Many of our students do well in our schools. Our high school out here, we compete against the best schools in Southern Alberta. Sometimes we don't win, but when, when we do play schools that are at the same uh, population level, we do very well. We won provincial championships in basketball, cross country, everything. We are competitive, and we push our kids. Yes, we put a lot of money into these public schools surrounding us. You might see the odd Indian playing on those teams. Hartston, over almost 50% of our funding goes to that public school system. Very seldom you'll see one of our teachers playing on there, one of our students, same with Lethbridge. But in our schools, everybody gets to play. Everybody wants to, there. we push them, we support them. So there's many good things about living on the reserve. It's not all bad. And then if you, I would challenge you to read all of Rico's books. They're not all accurate. Like in that Rico book, he said that when my dad was chief, the first elected chief, my dad's name was Rufus Goodstriker, that he broke that chief in life. He did. My great-grandmother on my dad's side was Rico's sister. Her name was uh, Mr. Bosapuolka. So, you know, on both sides are related to the Rico life. And then the other book you need to read, I don't know if it's properly published, but UofL has a copy. Is um, what is that book that uh, R.N. Wilson wrote? You guys, the Arbitrary Wars. You need to study that. 1912, 1913. The government at the federal level, they manipulated that so that any of our people that tried to do farming, you know, in the mining industry, they overturned that and they let sheep run over our land, they destroyed our land and our people who became farmers, and they destroyed that industry. So the government hasn't always been good to our people that have tried. It's not like our people haven't tried. Okay, that's all I want to say. Thank you. Question from a young man. He deserves to get I just wanted to, just a little background how I came to um, be aware of Mr. Flanagan here. I was uh, on a trip to Ottawa two years ago and I was going through chapters to find a, a good book to read on the flight back. And so I typed in First Nations into, uh, into the chapters directory and First Nations Second Thought came up. So I, I got it and then I started reading it and skimming through the book. And I immediately went for a refund to get my money back, so I just made the sign for me today. <laughs> did they give you your money back? Yes, they did. There's another thing. Uh, you use this example of when it got a little heated, you're saying, ask Satina, ask Satina, that we have a casino, we have a, a golf course, yeah. Okay, but my question to you is, have you drove by 37th Street and seen the big billboard that says we do not consent to C-45 and other legislations? Did you not see Satina people going right to Prime Minister's office in opposition to it? You're really bold to use this as an example, and if there was more of us here, you would have heard it a lot sooner. I waited my turn. Yeah, see? 
Well, I used to see it as an example of um, uh, First Nations that are. But did you drive by the reserve? That was my question. Pardon me? Did you, have you drove by 37th Street yeah, and seen, seen the big sign? Yeah. So, well, it's self explanatory. We don't consent to this legislation, and your policies are dangerous. And I hope you listened with your heart and ears to a lot of the good words that were here yeah. spoken today.